Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. It really is good to... Oh, my goodness, you're awake this morning. Very, very good. Um, I've been accused of something that I talk too much. Yes, it's true. Um, on Tuesdays, we have, um, we have staff meeting, you know, we kind of do different things. And then Andy and I, uh, the worship uh, director here, he and I always meet Tuesday at 2 o'clock and we kind of review the service, you know, what are some wins, some, what are some losses, you know, what, how can we do some things a little bit better. And um, he said to me, he said, Donald, do you know how long you spoke last week? And I go, no, I'm, uh, I'm not really familiar. He goes, well, see, because I had told him a couple months ago, now, Andy, I only speak 30 minutes. 30 minutes, I max out at 30 minutes, and I'm, uh, I'm out of there. And I've been saying this now for five months. And uh, so he says to me, do you know how long you spoke last week? I said, no. He said, 46 minutes. <laughs> I said, oh. And the week before was 44 minutes. I said, do you think I'm talking too much? He never answered the question. <laughs> it is true. I know that um, sometimes I can talk and I, a, a little maybe too much. And, uh, you know, maybe um, you may be quite surprised because, you know, I'm a man of few words. But it's true. There are certain topics that I can just get on talking about. And one of them is, I, honestly, I, I feel so blessed with my family that I love talking about my family. I, I just talk and talk and talk about uh, my family. In fact, if you ever find yourself at my house and you're over there maybe for supper and supper's not quite ready, chances are I'm going to say, hey, come on in the living room. Let me show you my family photo album. I have a heritage book and um, it shows all about my family and it starts with my great-great-grandmother working in the fields of England. I, that's where I start the story. And you can tell people's eyes are beginning to glaze over after the, the fourth generation that I'm talking about. It's, it's my dad's side of the family. It's my mom's side of the family. And I mean, just talk and talk and talk because I feel so fortunate. I mean, I have a great mom. I have two awesome sisters. One of my sisters is actually here this morning visiting from Florida. I have great brothers-in-law. I have uh, a nephew and two nieces that bring a lot of joy in my life. I have a godly grandfather who's retired after 70 years of preaching. I have aunts and uncles and cousins that I love to hang out with and chat. And I just love talking about them so I can just go on and on and on and you know something else I love to talk about I love talking about this church this is a great church I have a lot of friends a lot of people you know colleagues who work in in churches and sometimes I'm talking to them and you know things can be difficult and challenging and can be hard and I go oh my goodness you should come to our church it's amazing the people are amazing um we're we're, we're not perfect almost but you know it's a great group of people and I said, you know, every week, I said, you know, every week there are like hundreds of volunteers who, who work with children and, and teen ministry. And there's people that uh, are part of the first impressions and people who get up really, really early, long before we ever get here to open up the church and practice music. And then there's those who open up their homes for small groups. And so people can get connected and, and grow in their faith. And there's the, uh, women who pour into women and men who pour into men and, and relationships. And uh, I, I, I love bragging on you guys. Because you're a great group of people, even when you don't agree with me. I still like you. I like talking a lot. 
about what God's done for my life. How Jesus has just radically uh, transformed my life. Once destined to go in my own direction, and, and then God um, saved me. And I love talking about how Jesus died for my sins, and that with his own power, when they nailed him to the cross and they buried him with his own power, he, he raised himself uh, from the grave. I love telling people that uh, God loves them and, and that Jesus proved his love for them because dying on the cross. I mean, I love talking about that. But you know something I don't like talking about? is money. And it seems like we have been talking about it for the month of January. The elephant in the room getting a handle on our personal finances. It's also very personal. That's why I don't like to talk about it. And yet you open up the Bible and you can't help but see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses that talk about finances and money and treasure and stuff. And so we don't want to neglect such an important area of Scripture, but it's not because I love talking about it. This is a, this is a challenge uh, for me, the, the month of January. So let me just kind of, if you're just visiting with us today, and you heard me say, oh, brother, did he say money? The one Sunday I come to church and the man's talking about money. Well, you have no fears. Have no fears. Because I have no intentions of telling you that, um, that God needs your money because he doesn't need your money. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. We're just kind of looking at some principles from God's word that tells us how we can actually have a handle of our finances. So in week number one, for those uh, who were here and for those who weren't here, we kind of looked at the, at the famous sermon that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus talks about all kinds of subjects, and, but one particular subject he dives into in, in Matthew chapter 6, he says that um, where your treasure is, you can also find your heart. And so Jesus talks about this incredible relationship between the heart and our stuff, our money. I have them attached here because wherever you find one, you're always going to find the other. They're inseparable. Hey, you want to know where your heart is? Check out where your treasure is. You don't know where your treasure is? Check out where your heart is. That's what Jesus says. He says, where your treasure is, where your stuff is, where your money is, guaranteed you'll find your heart and so what we wrestle with in week one is who is going to be the leader in this relationship I mean there is a relationship between these two things who's going to lead is it our money or is it our heart in fact it was during that week that I realized I've given a lot of bad advice in my lifetime because I have said to people hey just follow your heart just follow your heart when making decisions in life. And then, of course, we, we read in Jeremiah uh, chapter uh, isn't it 17, verse 9, and it tells us that our heart has the ability to lead us astray. Like my heart, the pastor of Temple Baptist Church, has a heart that can lead him astray. And so we wrestled with who leads in this relationship. Is it our heart? Or is our money? And if you weren't here in week one, I encourage you to go on our, on our website and check out um, that message from week one. Then in the second week, we looked at that passage of scripture that at first sight, you almost think that it's a misprint. Like maybe Jesus had misspoken because in, um, it was in Luke. Remember, and Jesus says um, that uh, you can't serve both 
God and money. And at first you think, well, that's, I think that's not what he meant to say because the contrast, what we wrestle with every day is good and evil, God and the devil. That's what Jesus meant to say. But the more we looked at it, we realized, no, actually, Jesus hit the nail right on the head, didn't he? That's what we wrestle with is God and our money. That's the relationship that always seems to be at friction and tension. And the reality is we think about money all the time. Let's be honest, right? We're always thinking maybe about the future and saving and paying bills. We have enough this. We have enough for the kids. Can we pay the power bill? Can we get a new outfit? Can we get the new shoes? Like, it's always on our mind. And so Jesus knew that. God knew that. And so he said, right, you can't serve both. That's where the, that's where the struggle is always going to be. And I don't know if the struggle ever goes away, actually. And then we looked at the subject of ownership. That was the week where, you know, people's blood pressure raised. You know, people are like, I don't know, Donald, you're talking about this stuff. I, we made this bold statement that ownership is a myth, but stewardship is a reality. And, and I think why it's hard to, to come to grips with that, because if you were to open up your portfolio to me and say, now, Donald, look at this. That house there, the mortgage is in my name. You see those two cars? Who, you know who has the deed to that? You know who's the ownership? My name is on those two cards. Look at our cottage on the lake. It's my name on that mortgage. Hey, look at the checking account. Look at my savings account. Whose name is on there? And so it would seem only natural. You're right. It is all yours. And that's when we looked at that passage of Scripture where it seems like, as we wrestled through it, that actually it really isn't ours, but we're just stewards. The, the reality is we brought nothing into this world and we're not going to take anything out with us. Whatever we have is going to be left for someone else to manage. And we looked at that. And then last week, we tried to put together some, some basic truths, basic values from God's word, how, how to have a little bit of financial success, to, to be relieved of um, the stress, the tension that comes from kind of out of control spending just so we could feel a little bit of freedom and so we try to put a plan together what the bible has to say you know what's amazing i I mean i am no financial expert by no means but hey you want some good financial advice why not check out see what the bible has to say it's amazing some of just the everyday practical things that we deal with that the Bible addresses. Now, I, I think the main thing the Bible wants to tell us is to point us to Jesus. I think when you read through this book, you'll always find that it's pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, because he's the one who's come to redeem people. But as you read through stories like that, you are overcome sometimes by just all the, the day-to-day things that we deal with that the Bible deals with. And one of them is finances. And so um, this morning... I want to remind you that Temple is committed to helping people in their finances. They can have a little bit of freedom. That's why we're offering that course. Uh, financial peace, right? Finding financial uh, peace because we want people not to be stressed over all this and, and help you kind of put a plan together. And, and we're committed to doing that and, and helping you here. Now this morning I have no desire, no desire at all to beat up on anybody. Because you may be thinking, oh, is he talking about me? Absolutely, I have no desire on that. We just want to see some principles uh, from God's word to try to help all of us take our next step in this area of our finances. And so uh, last week I said one of the things that we need to do 
I said three things, and, and I was actually going to call some people up and say, hey, I was going to interview you, and you could give out the first point, the second point, and the third point, but I didn't want to embarrass myself while you not remember what I taught last week. So, um, but if you happen to remember them, <clears throat> you can say them with me. I said the first thing that we need to do is have a plan for, that's why I didn't ask you to come up on the plate. You're right. Plan your spending, I said. Plan your spending. Because if you find yourself at the end of the month going, oh my goodness, where did it all go? I don't, know, I don't know where it all went. It should be a, an alarm, a red flashing light that tells us, listen, you don't know where it all went? Then you need to put a plan together. We just call it a budget. But put a plan for your spending because when there's no plan, and I've shared some, some stories, personal stories, when there's no plan, we fall susceptible to impulse buying. And I shared you some of those stories, like <laughs> some of the mistakes I've made. We're all tempted. That's what we say. You've got to have a plan. got to have a plan. So I said, plan uh, your spending. I said, save for the, oh, thank you. Save for the future, right? Maybe uh, you're here this morning. You go, man, I just don't have any money at the end of the month. J even if it's just a little bit, just start trying to put a little bit aside, preparing, saving for the future. And then thirdly, I said, enjoy Enjoy what you have. Thank you that you were listening last week. I appreciate it. Oh, she took notes. That's why. Excellent. Enjoy what you have. This whole area of contentment. Uh, you know, so we just get bored. We do. We get bored with our stuff. And that's why we like what's new, but we like better what's newer. And there's nothing like getting the newest. And that's why last year's fashions won't cut it for this year. We just kind of get bored. And we looked at that principle of contentment, enjoying what you have. Sometimes we just are always working, always working for more and more and more, and we never take the opportunity to enjoy just what we have. So it's kind of three simple things. Plan your spending, save for the future, and enjoy what you have. But there was one area uh, that we didn't touch. It's the fourth area. And it's that area of giving. Now I know right now you're going, oh, brother. I knew this was going to come. I knew he would talk about that. Um, you're, you want to stand up there and say, God wants your money, and you should have enough faith to put your credit cards on the offering plate and let the people count the money to say how much money they should take off your credit card and pick it up at the information center at the end of, end of the service. I thought about doing that, but uh, <laughs> as I said before, this series has never been, ever been about God wanting your money. No, God is much bigger than that. And really, if God wanted our money, I think he has the ability to take it. So we're just talking about trying to get some freedom to relieve the tension and the stress that just comes from, really, out of control, our finances. And as I said before, we're, we're committed. We're committed as a church to help one another uh, in this area. A few years ago, I was at um, a conference called Global Leadership Summit. I've gone 14 years in a row, and it's a conference that kind of challenges leaders how to, how to do better at, at leading. And, and one of the speakers there was Bono, uh, who is, for those who may not know, in the older generation, he's kind of the lead singer of the group called U2, uh, probably one of the, the largest rock groups probably in the world. And he was speaking... And he was sharing some insights about uh, his finances. And he's obviously a multi-multi-millionaire. And anyway, he tells this story. He said that uh, 
He said, I was at the, the national prayer breakfast with the president of the United States, and I was the keynote speaker of this national prayer breakfast. And he says, I was speaking, and I got up, and I said, you know, when I go on tour, I ask God to, to bless our tour. He says, I pray that God would bless our tour. He says, when I'm away, I ask God to bless my family as they're going to be back home as we're out on tour. In fact, he says, whenever I do something, I, I always ask God to bless me. And so he had spoke, and, and then after the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, an older man and came up to him, a wise man. He says, you know, I was listening to you speak, and, and I noticed that you're always asking God to bless what you're doing. Have you ever thought about looking around and seeing what God's already doing, and what God's already blessing, and get involved in that? And Bono said, I, I took the challenge, and I started looking around to see, well, where is God blessing? And he, and he said, when I started to see what God was up to, he said, it caused me to move forward. It caused me to alloc actually allocate my resources and to discipline my life for greater impact. And that's why he's probably one of the, the largest givers and uh, one of the people that can raise a ton of money to help with the whole AIDS epidemic in Africa because he, he saw what God was doing around the world and he wanted to get involved in it. And this got me thinking, well, what's God up to these days? What is God up to these days? Like, what is God blessing? When we start looking around us. Like, what does God want for me to do? What does God want? And as I thought about that, I, I was reminded of this verse. You don't have to look at it. This is our, not our main passage this morning, but I, I'll read it to you. It's found in Micah. It's Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And it says, O oh man, what does the Lord want of you? To do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And I, I read through that and I was like, to do what's right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. That's what God's asking. And I don't think it's just for me. I actually think that's probably for the 7 billion people who walk on the face of the earth. Can you imagine if all 7 billion of us just did what was right, we loved mercy, and we walked humbly? you imagine what that would be like in our world today? You know, I have a vision for Temple. You know, as we've been wrestling over the last five minutes, and I thought... What a vision that would be, wouldn't it, for our church? That if people ever ask, what's your church all about? You'd say, well, you know, we're, really a, we're just a group of people that want to do right. We love mercy, and we walk humbly before the Lord. I got to thinking, again, well, what is right? What is right? Because, you know, there are times I don't want to do what's right. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. But there are times in my life I don't want to do what's right. Sometimes it's just simply going to somebody and asking for forgiveness. Sometimes I just don't want to do it. I hang on, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. Especially if I feel like they're, they're the ones that should be coming to me. I go, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, sometimes I, I don't always quickly offer forgiveness. Like, so I don't always do what's right. 
In fact, I think the Apostle Paul struggled with the same thing because Paul, the Apostle Paul, can you imagine this godly man who's, who's credited through the Holy Spirit writing half of the New Testament says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that's what I find out myself doing. So even the Apostle Paul struggled with doing what is right. With what is right. Doing what's right is not always easy. In fact, at times it's downright hard. And it takes discipline to do what's right. And there are certain areas I know in my own life that I lack discipline. Like I've said before, I took eight years of piano. You think I should be able to go over that piano and open up a music book and just be able to play? Eight years! But I wasn't disciplined enough to practice every day. And so therefore, I'm really a pathetic piano player, right? For sure. You know, this, um, this weekend, uh, or next weekend, I think it's the Super Bowl. Super Bowl weekend, and all throughout the city, there will be, you know, all kinds of Super Bowl parties, and perhaps some of you will be hosting Super Bowl parties, and people will be watching, and we'll, we'll watch on television some very highly disciplined athletes. I mean, they have thrown the ball a thousand times. They've kicked the ball a thousand times. They've caught the ball thousands of times. They've disciplined themselves enough so they know what to do, what's right at the right time and the right way. Discipline. For the past, I don't know how many years, I've been complaining about wanting to lose the 30 pounds that I carry around with me. And you know what? For some reason, I can't be disciplined enough to get my hand out of the cookie jar at night. It just seems to get a hold of me. I can do really well for 10 days, 20 days, 30 days. And then it's a downward spiral. Spiritual discipline is no different than any other discipline. Oh. I think somebody said something. I probably didn't want to hear it, did I? No. Um, spiritual discipline really is no different than any other discipline in your life. No different at all. In fact, the Bible, there's, you know, when you read out the Old Testament, you see the New Testament, and, you know, for instance, in the Old Testament, the Bible will say, don't covet your, your neighbor's wife, or don't commit adultery. And then Jesus comes along, and he raises the bar. Right? He said, if you find yourself <laughs> looking out your living room window and you're watching your neighbor's wife mow the lawn and weed the garden and paint the doorstep and wash the car, and you begin to think, hmm, I wonder what it would be like. Jesus says, you actually have already committed adultery. You see how he raised the standard? There was the Old Testament standard. Then there's Jesus comes along and he raises the standard. And in the Old Testament, the Bible talks a lot about tithe. And for those who may not be familiar with that, that's like a 10%. It's a 10%. And in the Old Testament, you'll read through it and it says, you know, give a tithe. And, but then Jesus comes along and he raises the standard. He says, actually, be generous beyond the tithe. See how, like he raises the standard for us. I have been asked this question, I, pr I would say hundreds of times, but real realistically dozens of times I've been asked this question. People have come up to me, almost scolding me. How come the church is not doing more in the community? We have needy people, we have hungry people, we have poor people. Like, why aren't you doing more in the community? And I thought, you know, 
As a church, we, we are doing stuff, but boy, wouldn't it be great to be able to do more? Wouldn't it be great to do more? You know, there's hardly a day goes by this church that people don't call asking for help. Genuinely asking for help. No doubt there's some con artists out there, but by the vast majority are people who really just need help. And, and we try to do our very, very best to help people and to assist people. But did you realize that as I begin to think about how can we help and be more effective in our community, I was reminded that if you look at studies of the last 20 to 30 years, everyone's salaries have gone up in the last 20 to 30 years. But giving has actually dropped by 50%. Think about that. All of us have experienced what it is to make more in the last 20 to 30 years. But statistics are saying, but people give 50% less than what they used to. I read the stat that uh, worldwide, Christians give one, um, $181 billion, imagine, $181 billion are given. And so we're able to make some impact and some influence. But someone did a, a study on that, and they said, if Christians who claim to be followers of Jesus, if they had decided, you know, that they were going to say just tithe a 10%, he said, actually, that would bring in $647 billion. That's $466 billion more. Now, in our world, stats say that about 35,000 children die every day from poverty and diseases. Every day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would be like if the church could rise up and meet those needs? I don't think there's a social need in this country that the church could not address if all of us were involved in giving. I, um, I read this. That of all the Christians in our country lost their job. Let's just say every Christian in this country lost their jobs and had to go on government subsidy. Like they needed the help because we had no jobs. If every Christian did that and just actually tithe their government check, giving would go up by 30% in our country. Those are pretty amazing stats. And I'd like to suggest to you that the vision that Temple Baptist Church has is worthy of your giving. It's, it's worthy of your giving. The vision of serving God who rescued us from sin. In fact, I think the vision is so compelling, it keeps us on mission. And though we have stated it in many different ways over the last 80 years, we've always been about um, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. To be able to to, for those who are far from God, be able to introduce them to who Jesus is, where they can become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And so I was thinking about that, and I asked Catherine, I asked Catherine, our children's doctor, I said, just kind of wanting to know, you know, we're all about trying to connect people to Jesus. I said, could you just, is, did, anybody, did anybody come to know the Lord this last year in children's ministry? Can I give you the names? Just so you know what your giving is doing. These are the names. I'm just going to give you the first names. 
Bethany, Lincoln, Hudson, Avery, Abarella, Addison, Ayla, uh, Byra, James, Andrew, Sabrina, Gage, Will, Robert, Drew, Lisa, Cash, Cameron, Aiden, Kayla, Nicholas, Harlow, Simon, uh, Trevon, Savon, uh, Jesse, Bennett, uh, JJ, Ben, Ethan, Caleb, Grace, Alex, Alexa, Julia, Anna, Ryan, Motley, Victoria, Liam, another Gage, Elisa, Emma, Bryson, Kai, Mike Mason, Layla, Olivia, Michaela, Avery, Cars, Kimberly, uh, Adriana, Ruby, uh, Abrella, uh, another Caleb, Lation, Carter, Tristan, Tristan, Andrea, Madge, Elisa, Aaron, Avery, Andrea, Rebecca, Mackenzie, Jack, Braden, Brooke, uh, Python, uh, Zachary, Ryland, Jalen, Riley, Carson, Dylan, Olivia, Micah, Addison, Levi, Weston, Andrew, Bray, Warren, Abby, um, Caitlin. Hear those names? Those were some of the names from this past year in children's work that people have come to know Jesus. I'm, I'm just saying you're giving. The Temple Baptist Church is making a difference. And I believe you're giving, the Temple Baptist Church is worthy of your giving. I asked uh, Pastor Dave, I said, what's happened in Team Minute? Any lives being changed? And he quickly just went into the story about this young lady who, who came to a youth group who was from a very abusive situation and a really bad home life. And he said he came, she came and um, she was just in awe of what was taking place. And we, she said we, we invited her to snow camp last year and she got saved at snow camp and she turned her, turned her life over to Jesus. And then within a couple months, her family moved away. And I thought, man, we just had a short period of time. And then he quickly went to another story about another young man who said he came to a youth group as a, a complete atheist. Didn't even believe that there was a God. With a few months, God just softened his heart and he gave his life to Jesus. I'm just saying, Temple Baptist Church and what's going on is worthy of your giving. I asked Sonia in our um, office, I said, could you just print out the people who were baptized last year? And as I was going through the, the baptism list, I was like, oh my goodness, there, there's moms and dads and there's kids and there's young ones and there's older ones, there's family members, there's brothers-in-laws. And, and then you reflect on some of the testimonies of how God just transformed their lives. I'm just telling you today, I believe Temple Baptist Church is worthy of your giving. So if you have your Bibles with that, would you just turn to the last book of the Old Testament. The last book. It's a book that we don't often look at. The last book of the Old Testament, it's in Malachi. We're back in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, just look on with somebody or you can just uh, listen as I read. Malachi 3. It's kind of an interesting statement right at the very beginning. It says, will a man rob God? A question. Will a man rob God? He says, you are robbing me. But you say, well, how can we rob you, God? How can we rob you? And, and God replies that, well, it's in your offering. It's in your giving. And I, I got thinking about that. 
robbing God? Is that even possible? You know, I can handle the accusation. I can handle this accusation. Are you robbing God? It's the next part that bothers me. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you ask how you're robbing me. It's in your giving. And then he says here, I don't say this to scare any of us, but it just says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, when I read that curse, I was just like, I don't think this is any Indiana Jones curse. I'm like, what, what does he mean by that? If we would rob, that we would be part of a curse. And I just got thinking about that. Well, what, what is that? You know what I think it may be? What part of it may be? I think when we don't give, I think, I think our heart gets smaller. I think it gets less compassionate. I think it gets cold when we don't, when we don't participate. In fact, I find that the longer we hold off from just participating and giving, that as we get harder and colder and smaller, I think our soul just shrivels up. I do. Because we, we're afraid that we might lose something. But when we give, I really believe it enlarges our heart. I think it makes us stronger. It gives us more courage. It gets us more excited about what God is doing. Now look, let's continue to read. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And you may ask, well, what, what is the storehouse? Which is a good question. What is the storehouse? I, I think it's a, just a place of nourishment. Your storehouse is a place of nourishment. And that's why I say, you know, your giving should be with your local church where you get encouraged and strengthened and nurtured and you find strength for the journey, get renewed, refresh your soul. Now look at me. This is seriously. I, I really want you to look at me. If, if, if this isn't your church, you don't need to give here. I, I totally believe this. But if this is your church, I believe God says this, you really need to participate. And if you find yourself that you can't give here, if you say, you know, I just can't give there, then I'm saying, find a church where you can give, where you can get behind the vision, where you can get behind the mission for the sake of your family. That's how serious I think it is. If you feel like, well, I, I just can't, I'm not, I don't even agree with half the stuff, then go somewhere where you can like where you can get plugged in and get involved and where you can be generous if it's not here. Because when I read this and it says that when we don't, and I think of this, like just having a soul that shrivels right up and becomes small and cold. I think if you're a follower of Jesus, your local church is worthy of, of your giving. I, I really do. Now, look else what it says here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Only time that God has ever said that, by the way. He's never made that statement anywhere else where he says, go ahead and challenge me. He says, I dare you to trust me in this area. 
Go ahead and test and see if you do not do what I ask, that I don't actually pour out a blessing from heaven, that I actually don't just open up the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing on you. Now, if I said to you, listen, I want to challenge you. For those who maybe have never given before, I want to challenge you. For the next two months, I want to challenge Would you be willing to participate for the next two months? And then after the two months, if I went to you and said, now tell me, has, has God not blessing you? And I don't, think it's all, I don't always think it's finances. I don't think because you gave a dollar, Jesus is going to give you two more dollars. No. I think there's lots of ways God blesses us. But if I said to you, listen, just take the challenge for the next two months, and if you don't find that God's blessing you, we'll give all your money back. I think some people would say, oh, okay, I'll try that. But listen, the guarantee that God gives far is far better than what I'm giving, that I would give. He says, you test me, you try me, and, don't, and you just wait and see if I don't open up the heavens and pour out a blessing on you. It's like God is challenging us, putting us to the test. Just try me and see if I will not do what I just said. Now, I realize some of you are here. I'm probably thinking, you know, um, simply, Pastor Donald, I, I, I just, there is no money. You don't understand. You know, maybe you're a single mom and you're trying to feed your children. And you would say, I, we're just scraping by. I mean, we put an extra layer of sweaters on. We put heavy socks on so we don't have to turn the heat. I, I, I make bag lunches. We don't go out to eat. We, like, we're just making ends meet. I don't know where else we could cut back. And I, I, I would probably very true. But with that, as you are working through that. Can I just read one more verse? It's found in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In verse 31. This is Jesus speaking. Again, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Do not worry. Do not worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? So as I'm, okay, Jesus is speaking, and I'm thinking, okay, he's saying, don't worry, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to clothe. I'm thinking, why? Well, of course I'm going to worry. There's things to worry about. In verse 33, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, maybe you might say, well, Donald, it, things, times are different now. This is 2017. That was a different time. It's true. But I do believe when these words were recorded for us 2,000 years ago, God knew we'd be reading them in 2017. He knew that. And I believe this truth is as relevant as it was when Jesus spoke to his generation as it is for us living in 2017. And he's saying, Jesus, like, you don't need to worry about those things because I will provide. But he says, but first, seek me. But first, seek me. Says, but, but, but Donald, but Donald, I'm just saying, just trying to relate what the Bible says, but seek first.
but seek first God. Here's the principle. Wherever you want God to bless in your life, put him first. If you want him to uh, bless you in relationships, then put him first in your relationship. If you want him to bless you with your time, then put him first in time. If you want God to really bless your finances, he's just saying, put me first. Put me first. I understand, I get it as best as I possibly can. This is a, a huge trust issue. I know it is. I, I get it. I, I, I know. Because we see what we have, and it, it just, we can't see how we can make ends meet. I, I think probably all of us have been in spots like that. I'm just saying that Jesus himself said, seek first me and the things you will need. He said, you don't need to worry about the food and the clothing, what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat because if you seek me first. That seems to be the principle there that he's trying to relay. The root of our financial problem is really a matter of values and trust. What do I value and who do I trust? This is a very, uh, it's been very difficult for me just to speak this message, but I want the best for you, truly. I'd love to see the best for you. And I'd love all of us, myself included, to be challenged to take our next step towards this whole idea of financial uh, giving. You want to have financial success, be free of the stress and the tension from overspending, Seems to me four simple things. Plan your spending. Save for the future. Enjoy what you have. And give. And allow your heart to be enlarged by what God's doing. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, um, it is a difficult <laughs> message to preach. And Lord, I... I do not want to be guilty to even, even begin to suggest to people you need our money because you just do not need it at all. But Lord, you do want to see us grow. You want to see our, our hearts enlarged to see what's around us and, and how we can help and be a part of what you're doing. And so Lord, that's what we're asking. Open our eyes to see what areas you're blessing that we can jump on board and be a part of it. Now Lord, we know that right here in our own city, there are, there are thousands of people who are walking these streets every day that don't know you. Lord, some who have some real heavy physical needs. And Lord, we, we want to be able to reach into those kind of communities. We want to be able to help people who are just far from God. And so Lord, would you open our eyes, help each one of us to catch the vision, the mission of what we're all about as a church. Lord, I, I'm just absolutely convinced that if the church would rise up, we honor you in our giving. Man, the world will not have seen yet what can be done when the people of God are on fire 